Chapter Four of Comic History of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Kristen Lemoyne. In honor of Jim Mowat's completion of his History University degree. Comic History of England by Bill Nye. Chapter Four, The Influx of the Danes, Facts Showing Conclusively Their Influence on the Britain of Today. And now, having led the eager student up to the year 827 A.D., let us take him forward from the foundation of the English monarchy to the days of William the Conqueror, 1066. Egbert, one of the kings of Wessex, reigned practically over Roman Britain when the country was invaded by the Northmen, Swedes, Norwegians, and Danes, who treated the Anglo-Saxon as the Anglo-Saxon had formerly treated the poor Briton. These Northmen were rather coarse people, and even put the Anglo-Saxons to the blush sometimes. They exercised vigorously, and thus their appetites were sharp enough to cut a hair. They at first came in the capacity of pirates, sliding stealthily into isolated coast settlements on Saturday evening and eating up the Sunday victuals, capturing the girls of the Bible class and sailing away. But later they came as conquerors and boarded with the peasantry permanently. Egbert formed an alliance with his old enemies, the Welsh, and gained a great victory over the Northmen. But when he died and left Ethelwulf, his son, in charge of the throne, he made a great mistake. Ethelwulf was a poor king, quote, being given more to religious exercises than reigning, says the historian. He would often exhibit his piety in order to draw attention away from his royal incompetency. He was not the first or last to smother the call to duty under the cry of Hallelujah. Like the little steamer engine with the big whistle, when he whistled, the boat stopped. He did not have a boiler big enough to push the great ship of state and shout Amen at the same time. Ethelwulf defeated the enemy in one great battle, but too late to prevent a hold-up upon the island of Thanet, and afterwards at Shippy, near London, where the enemy settled himself. Yet Ethelwulf made a pilgrimage to Rome with Alfred, then six years old, A.D. 855. He was gone a year, during which time very little reigning was done at home, and the Northmen kept making treaties and coming over in larger droves. Ethelwulf visited Charles the Bald of France at this time, and married his daughter Judith incidentally. Ethelwulf's eldest son died during the king's absence, and was succeeded as eldest son by Ethelbald, heir apparent, though he had no hair apparent who did not recognize the old gentleman or allowed him to be seated on his own throne when he came back. But Ethelwulf gave the naughty Ethelbald the western half of the kingdom, rather than have trouble. But Baldy died, and was succeeded by Ethelbert, who died six years later, and Ethelred, in 866, took charge till 871, when he died of a wound received in battle, and closed out the Ethel business to Alfred. 
The Danes had meantime rifled the country with their cross-guns, and killed Edmund, the good king of East Anglia, who was afterwards canonized, though gunpowder had not then been invented. Alfred was not only a godly king, but had a good education, and was a great admirer of Dickens and Thackeray. This is put in as a tidbit for the critic. He preferred literature to the plaudits of the nobility and the sedentary life on a big white oak throne. On the night before his coronation his pillow was wet with tears. And in the midst of it all here came the Danes, wearing heavy woolen clothes, and introducing their justly celebrated style of honest sweat. Alfred fought as many as eight battles with them in one year. They agreed at last to accept such portions of the country as were assigned them, but they were never known to abide by any treaty, and they put the red man of America to shame as prevaricators. Thus, by 878, the wretched Saxons were at their wits' end, and have never been able to take a joke since at less than thirty days. Some fled to Wales and perished miserably, trying to pronounce the names of their new post-office addresses. Here Alfred's true greatness stood him in good stead. He secured a number of reliable retainers, and camped in the swamps of Somersetshire, where he made his headquarters on account of its inaccessibility, and then he made raids on the Danes. Of course he had to live roughly, and must deny himself his upright piano for his country's good. In order to obtain a more thorough knowledge of the Danes and their number, he disguised himself as a harper, or portable orchestra, and visited the Danish camp, where he was introduced to Guthrun, and was invited to a banquet, where he told several new anecdotes, and spoke in such a humorous way that the army was sorry to see him go away, and still sorrier when a few days later, armed cap a pied, he mopped up the greensward with his enemy, and secured the best of terms from him. While, in cog, Alfred stopped at a hut, where he was asked to turn the pancakes as they required it. But in the absence of the hostess he got to thinking of esoteric subjects, or something profound, and allowed the cakes to burn. The housewife returned in time to express her sentiments, and a large box to his address as shown in the picture. He now converted Guthrun and had him immersed, which took first-rate and other Danes got immersed. Thus the national antagonism to water was overcome, and today the English who are descended from the Danes are not appalled at the sight of water. As a result of Guthrun's conversion, the Danes agreed to a permanent settlement along the exposed portion of Great Britain, by which they became unconsciously a living rampart between the Saxons and other incursionists. Now peace began to reign up to 893, and Alfred improved the time by rebuilding the desolated cities, London especially, which had become a sight to behold. A new stock law, requiring the peasantry to shut up their unicorns during certain seasons of the year, and keep them out of the crops, also protecting them from sportsmen while shedding their horns in spring, or molting, it is said, was passed. But the English historians are such great jokers, that the writer has had much difficulty in culling the facts, and eliminating the persiflage from these writings. Alfred the Great only survived his last victory over the Danes at Kent a few years, 
when he died greatly lamented. He was a brave soldier, a successful all-around monarch, and a progressive citizen in an age of beastly ignorance, crime, superstition, self-indulgence, and pathetic stupidity. He translated several books for the people, established or repaired the University of Oxford, and originated the idea, adopted by the Japanese a thousand years later, of borrowing the scholars of other nations, and cheerfully adopting the improvements of other countries, instead of following the hide-bound and stupid conservatism and ignorance bequeathed by father to son, as a result of blind and offensive pride, which is sometimes called patriotism. End of chapter 4